0: In this episode, we had AJ, who is a quality engineer at Kazoo, STEM advocate and community champion. We chatted about attending my contract testing workshop as a novice, exploring APIs, observability of your APIs, and empowering women in tech. It was a pleasure to have AJ on the podcast. It was lots of fun this episode. Here it is. Hi, AJ. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Hi, Liz. How are you doing today?
0: Yeah, really good. Thank you. I'm really excited to hear about your journey into contract testing. I know you've just got started with it.
1: Yeah, it's very exciting, and there's lots to learn. <laughs> so much to learn.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a steep learning curve, but I'm sure, I'm sure you'll pick it up quickly. So you've started a new role at Kazoo this year, last year.
1: Yeah, this year I started in January. So new year, new job. Yeah, exciting. Start. Mm.
0: So. Tell me a bit about your your journey to, to testing at Kazoo.
1: So testing at Kazoo is a little bit different to what I'm used to. Principles and the framework that we have here are very different and quality is more of a coaching role. So we do take active participation, and we do testing, but we think about things more from helping the engineering teams move left and shift left, but whilst also thinking about shifting right in terms of observability So we do a lot of things around risk storming, thinking about what we can do at a TDD level with code, also moving into design and discovery. So it's quite interesting.
0: Cool. So what what did you do before you were a tester at Kazoo?
1: Oh, there's so many things. So I've worked in every kind of testing role I can think of, from finance, payments, checkout, games testing at Nintendo, Wi-Fi testing at Sky, Mm -hmm. gas and electricity, smart meters... Working in the field with hydro, everything you can think of. I've done a little bit of everything. Wow. Yeah, I'm like a test janitor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Amazing, done everything. So what? What was kind of what was a really interesting one that you worked on? I guess in terms of challenges that you faced. Oh,
1: the best one I can't ever talk about for legal reasons. Oh no. Because it's all with deck and the government and stuff.
0: Yeah. What's the second one then?
1: But I think the funnest one was working on We Fit.
0: Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um,
1: because that's when I started really learning about personas. And this is, God, nearly 10 years ago now. But thinking about the edge cases and the unthought about. So We Fit was aimed primarily at adults. And one of the things that the predominantly male group of testers that I worked with and developers didn't think about was that there might be a 12-year-old who might want to try it out. Yeah. And if they do, should you really be telling them that a 12-year-old is overweight, that type of thing? <laughs> so having to think about those kind of scenarios and those personas and what yeah, we should sure. look for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then also making the me's. That was quite fun. Like, do we want to alert when people are making things that are rude? Yeah. <laughs> Or politically incorrect, that type of thing. So it was a really interesting pro- project to work nice, on. Nice,
0: yeah. That Yeah, that sounds like you get really into the who the person is, because that's the thing about the Wii, right? It's very personal and, and very...
1: Yeah, even down to localization mm. and other cultures. So yeah. what we might feel is a good persona for the UK market might be completely different for Japan or Europe.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a really interesting one.
1: Yeah, it was really good. So another the chat for another time.
0: So, contract testing. I ran a workshop that you attended.
1: It's fantastic. If anyone's listening, you have to have a little shot of it. It's quite good.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it should be up on the, <laughs> the Ministry of Testing platform at some point this year. So, what did you know going into the workshop?
1: I'll be honest, I knew the basics. I understand the principles of contract testing, but actually seeing someone apply it is very different. And then, because of previous roles, when I did touch on contract mm-hmm. testing, it was at a very high level, just based on how the teams worked at the time. So that's why I'm kind of hungry to learn a bit more, and which is why I came to your session, because I knew that it yeah. would be good.
0: Nice. And so what do you think was the biggest takeaway that you took from the session?
1: The biggest takeaway for me was that there was a lot of people, like it was a really big session. It was really good. And there's a lot of people from all over the world with mm. different levels of experience. And even those that were very experienced in testing more technically mm. than me were still asking really good questions and they were still having the same kind of doubts that I was. So it was really good to see that those questions are a silly question, that everyone has the same thoughts and it's quite good to have that open forum where people can ask questions and discuss things?
0: Definitely, yeah. I thought the dynamic of the group was really good. We had a lot of interaction from from people, senior and more junior. I think one of the things around like what's highlighted from contract testing is that everyone makes mistakes when it comes to releasing APIs, releasing software with breaking changes. So it's nice to hear people's stories about Like, this happens all the time, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And there was a product owner that was in the conversation, and they'd got so much benefit, even though they weren't a developer, just seeing the kind of conversations that were happening and the thought process. So it was really Mm. good.
0: And so you mentioned a topic to me before about exploratory API testing. How would you describe it? What is exploratory API testing?
1: Again, it's probably context-driven. So for some people, exploratory API testing would be if they inherit the API seeing what it can do taking use of that observability using the data and then thinking Mm. what other things can we do so it's looking at the api where your expectations are open you have the documentation if you're lucky and you have a handover and a knowledge transfer session if you're lucky if you had good communication with the Mm. other teams whether it's internal or external then that's great but it still always gives you a lot of value by just exploring it for yourself and saying, based on my Oracle experience and what I want to deliver and how I want to improve on this or what information I have from discovery, what kind of things can we can we yeah. look at? Can we improve it? Can we improve performance? Just having those, like, even 30-minute time box sessions where you just have a play with it or you have a charter and you go, this is what I want to understand.
0: Yeah, because I think with APIs, you can get a narrow-minded mindset towards the documentation says this, so I want to check that it does this. Whereas there's lots of stuff which is implicit, as you mentioned about data, Mm -hmm. data you're putting through the system. So what other scenarios do you think that don't live inside the documentation? I mean,
1: one of the things for me is if your tests are always green, that's sometimes a red flag. (laughs)
0: <laughs> because
1: are the tests good enough? Are there no alerts coming off? Is it because you haven't thought of things you need to alert on? Because mm. alerts are for what you know is going to go wrong, right? But if nothing ever goes wrong, then are you focusing yeah. on the right thing with the API? Just because the latency is good, is it good enough? Mm. Is it scalable? Those kind of things. And that's where exploratory testing come, can be really beneficial.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I've kind of discovered recently about tools which replay the the documentation replay your open API specs and give you a set of tests and say, okay, yeah, these, these tests conform with the open API spec, but that's a computer telling us this is what the outcome is. When you're exploring the API, it gives you more value than just The automation? What value does it give beyond just automatic checks?
1: I think for me, in terms of exploratory testing, again, that's where it ties in with the observability. If you have an API dashboard or health checker or health board and the latency has been good for a year, some of the things you can get from observability is predicting when a problem is going to happen. When was the last time the version was updated? Who's using those versions? If there's been no maintenance on the code or the API or anything around it or the consumers for more than two years, then Do we still need it? Are those fields all relevant anymore? Are we creating bulk for the sake of it? Like if no one's using that information or those fields, then what's the point in them? So people sometimes forget, they go, it's working lovely, crack on. But part of maintenance is going back and saying, is this still the right tool for the job? Is it still the right information we're gathering? Are there ways we can improve the information? Can we make it workable for future projects, that type of thing?
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Because when you think about software development, you think about the definition of done. And the definition of done is often, We've delivered it in production. We can see what's happening in production. But then that area of continuous improvement comes in. But that's not really, that doesn't fit into your development process. Mm -hmm. How would you fit it into your development process, I guess is the question.
1: So the way that we do it at Kazoo, for example, is we have constant measurement part of our observability. So after we do deliver, we have a measurement period mm. where we say, is it actually delivering what we thought? Is latency what we expected? How is it impacting in terms of the e commerce tools and the broad spectrum of all of the other worlds that it touches? Are they getting what they need? What errors are we getting back? Are they the right errors? And so we don't just yeah. deliver it and go here you go crack on. We do revisit it as part of our discovery. And then we get to a point where we say we no longer need to do discovery on this. We think it is where we want to be. Mm. But because it is consumed and we are the maintainer we will revisit it quarterly and just have a quick check because otherwise it could be there for a year and a lot can happen people can move teams knowledge can change knowledge can be lost so it's worth revisiting even if it's just for 20 minutes
0: Definitely, yeah. I think that's a really nice use case is, as you say, about how are we getting the errors back that we expected? And that's where things like contract testing can come in mm-hmm. and really detail that and you can see what your consumers are doing. So I think that has a really nice overlap. But it definitely requires that human intervention of what we see seeing.
1: Different viewpoints are always good, especially when you're focusing on the API and you're delivering it. You do enter a little bit of a bubble sometimes. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how good your cross-team collaboration is. You both get sucked into this little bubble. So revisiting it with a fresh pair of eyes or a fresh um, perspective is always good.
0: Definitely prominent in in lots of organisations. Cool. So I want to talk about stuff you do outside of, I guess, your testing role as well, because you're an advocate for STEM and women in tech. So yeah, what kind of stuff do you get involved with?
1: Oh, All sorts. Mm. <laughs> and it's different levels of business at different times of year, depending on what's happening. So on one occasion I might be reviewing abstracts for a conference mm. for Grace Hopper. That's a really big global conference that happens online and in person mm-hmm. um, in Europe and in America. And that's quite good because I get to provide really meaningful feedback to the individuals that apply. It is quite admin related, but it's mm-hmm. important because just giving them an opinion saying no one will find this interesting or this has been done before or if it doesn't fit in with the theme of the conference that's not going to help that person move on and it might put them off so one of the good things about that is you can give them detailed feedback on each section and at what part of the application they may be stumbled and they they get key takeaways like quite good detailed ones and it's part of a really large committee and that committee is split into specialities so mine's human interaction so that's quite good i've also started doing abstracts on data which is really interesting as well
0: conferences are very populated with white men and we need to work out why that is potentially and give people the opportunity
1: i think it's because and anything happens even with the communities that we're part of they do start off with a buddy in who you know system Mm. and that's how they grow and they build and people bring other people in and if you don't make an active effort to widen that diversity group and include people that you think aren't being included then you're just making it worse
0: yeah no, that's a really good point you do lots more stuff for stem so what's what's some projects that you've been involved with that you're you're really proud of so recently
1: just off the back of working with STEMettes at asos i kept in touch with quite a lot of the young people that were working on that project and also taking part in the schemes and the princess trust there's still people there that i mentor that have come out of the princess trust they're in careers now But we still keep in contact. And I've got really great news today, actually, that one of the young people that I mentor, they've become a finalist in the new Mm -hmm. Samsung competition for um, new development. And if they win, they'll have really great access to CEOs and people like Steve Bartlett and stuff who will help them with their product design. So that's quite interesting. I'm excited for them.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. So how how do they how do they get involved with that?
1: So one of the things that you can do, some of my one of my mentoring groups is university students at UCL, and we just have just whenever they feel they need mm-hmm. it, just a quick coffee catch up online, and they'll say, "I'm really struggling to get an internship." I will just help them yeah. figure out ways of contacting people, who to contact, who would be good to have a peer review session with on their product design just from my experience in the industry and even people I don't know sometimes they just need someone to help them take that first step Mm -hmm. and annoy someone and then make them realize it's not annoying like a lot of people will love to be contacted it's not about recruitment but actually because they want their expertise or knowledge and most people can see the benefit of lifting others up and they will make the time to do it So it's quite good.
0: Yeah, definitely. I've realized that with the the podcast is reaching out to people and not just stopping at, oh, sorry, I'm busy right now. Contact them again in in two weeks or a month's time. And then, yeah, they're more than happy to to contribute. It's just they they didn't have the time then. But yeah, they don't find it annoying at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think when you move into tech for the first time or when you're still quite new to tech, everything that is a possibility can be overwhelming. And you don't know Mm. because you don't have that experience. Like what path to go down? Got all these problems. I've got all these challenges. I don't know where to focus. And sometimes just sitting down with someone for 10 minutes and saying, write everything down that you're having a problem with today or tomorrow. What can you actually control? What can you focus on, and what can you not control? So then, just ignore mm. that, and just sometimes having that someone to to bounce off mm. can be really beneficial. Having someone who's not someone you work with, or who's in your direct community or peer group, is also very good mm. because it's almost like having a stranger just to bounce ideas off of, and that can be really helpful as well. For sure. Yeah. What are you doing in regards to STEM and women in tech?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's a good it's a good question. So I've joined a couple of mentoring programs. Oh, great. One of them being Femme Palette. Their whole branding is, is centred around that. So hopefully I will get matched with, with some people that I can I can help.
1: Yeah, I think anything that anyone in the testing community could do for women, femmes, and them is always very important. And just thinking about that language when they tweet. And again, when you have those on Twitter, for example, when, you, when people have those calls, like specifically saying, I want you to talk with me or be a speaker and giving them an opportunity or voice, especially the ones that don't have many followers. Because we both know that the amount of followers you have isn't as important as the conversation you're having. So maybe finding those people with conversations and bringing them in.
0: Cool. Yeah, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. So where can people find you? How can people reach out to you if they potentially wanted mentoring in the future?
1: Yeah, this has been really good. Thank you very much, Liz. So using the power of their mind telekinesis is always a good one but if that's not an option then on twitter i'm aj Paradith. quite a hard word to spell because it doesn't exist anymore and on linkedin just aj wilson
0: yeah i'll put the links in the show notes um, so people can find you there